Welcome, everybody, to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole, coming from an undisclosed location this week. Apologies out there, anyone who's used to the pristine sound quality, uh, at least I think pretty pristine sound quality that comes out here. I am coming from my brother-in-law's place out here in beautiful California. Uh, Those of you watching on YouTube, you can see behind me, quite a tennis fan. Uh, with Rafael Nadal, Serena Williams, and my man, Roger Federer, up on top. They will be joining us today for this episode, which is really going to focus on training camp and the preseason. I talked a lot about training camp in prior episodes, what matters, what doesn't matter, what takeaways to come from it. For this one, it's really going to be focusing more on what we saw in the first week of the preseason and just to get the general theme right out front, I'm not going to get into too many details because I'll go into that a little bit later. But the general theme is going to be not that the preseason doesn't matter, not that the individual performances don't matter, but we have to know in what way it matters. And I think there's some game theory almost involved in this here when figuring out what part of the preseason matters because. What I've learned by studying it, and I'll show you some of the analysis that I've done, some of the takeaways from that, is that for most players, how well they play in the preseason does not correlate, at least over the data that we have from 2016 till today, does not correlate with how well they play during the regular season. Now, the confounding factor there is it can affect and probably does affect how much they're able to play in the regular season. Meaning you have to think about this, not necessarily in terms of I liked X quarterback as a prospect. They played well in week one now of the preseason Now that confirms what I thought, and they will be good during the regular season. The better way to think about it is, whether you liked or disliked a particular quarterback, if they played well, or the perception is they played well, or when it comes to the quarterback position, quite honestly, if the perception is, you know, they didn't poop themselves, basically, during the game, that translates to playing well in most people's minds. That's going to affect the coach's opinions of who they are, and their potential to play. Data people like myself are probably going to say, let's look at the much larger sample of how they've been playing in training camp. Let's go off of that to decide whether or not they're really ready. Let's not determine whether a quarterback should be thrown into the fire in week one or week two or week three, or have that big impression put on us just by the fact that they're going to get 10, 20 dropbacks in a preseason game and how well they play during those dropbacks. But guess what? Most people aren't like us, including coaches. And I think there probably is an overweight on the, how they perform in the actual game versus what they're seeing in training camp and other places. So we don't have to respect that opinion. We don't have to say that that is our expectation. If they play well in the preseason, then they will play well in the regular season, but we have to at least know and put into our calculus looking at how players will play during the regular season how much they will play during the regular season how coaches view what has happened during the preseason I'll get into all that and more especially focusing on the quarterbacks since those are the ones I made sure to go through and not only look at the numbers but then look at some of the film on what they did and I'll say a lot of it aligns with probably what your preseason evaluation was for the particular quarterback But before we get into any of that, I just want to let everyone know out there, if you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. There have been fantasy football leagues. Sunday morning, you're digging through reports in your normal fantasy football league. You're trying to figure everything out. None of that stress is involved with Underdog Fantasy. The best ball format, you just draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. That's it. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, you're going to get your first deposit up to $100, doubled with promo code PFF, play 10 of those dollars, 
using promo code PFF and you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the app store, play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, before I get into the particulars here and of the rookie play, the quarterback play, the preseason play, let's talk about some news that is going on here. I think the Zach Wilson injury news is particularly interesting, not just from the perspective of how it's going to affect the Jets season, because let's face it, even with a lot of improvement, even with draft picks paying off um, after the Makai Becton injury, the defense, you could expect them to step forward, but maybe not quite enough to be a top 10 type of team. Even with all of that, the Jets are not a team that's going to be competing for the playoffs this year. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So what this injury really means becomes to Zach Wilson and why it would have been such a detriment to the team's ability to rebuild or effectively rebuild or continue their rebuild is that this would have made it difficult for the evaluation of Zach Wilson. Wilson was the lowest, I believe, or tied for the lowest passing grade for any quarterback last year, along with Ben Roethlisberger. He was the third lowest, I believe, in efficiency on EPA per play last year. And I know Josh Allen will forever and ever again be the standard for argumentation that if a quarterback's not good his first two seasons and you like the evaluation, you have to continue to give him more and more time. Well, if they wouldn't have even gotten this season from Zach Wilson, after getting a very, very poor season his first time around, it could have put a freeze on everything for the Jets. It could have put a freeze on evaluating all the different players that they brought in, could have put a freeze on evaluating the head coach, could have put a freeze on evaluating the GM, Joe Douglas, who I think is on a little bit hotter of a seat right now, appropriately, uh, hotter of a seat than Robert Sala is right now. But if Wilson can come back in four weeks, let's say, they can at least get that data. And I think this is a make or break season, not only for Wilson potentially. And again, a lot of people are going to argue that he can, he can come back again, but he's got to at least show some improvement. I mean, Allen went from bad as a rookie, not so good the first half of his second season, and then league average-ish the second half of his second season. If we don't see that sort of growth from Wilson this season, I don't think it would have been too early to already look to go back in to, pl- to pull the plug. Joe Douglas is probably going to be out of a job. Joe Douglas would have been the GM who drafted him. Robert Sala, we'll see. Again, I, I would give him a little bit more time, but we really don't know about that. So, But now we are going to get to see Zach Wilson this year. The problem, though, we're talking about injuries. Now, this is a couple of injuries for Zach Wilson. This, again, non-contact, knee injury, surgery here. Is the one thing that he has been good at and he was displaying that in this game here where that was going to be a positive play, a scramble that he was going to make after having thrown an interception early in the game. The one thing that he has been really good at, the best game that he had last year, included a long touchdown run on a scramble, is using his legs. That's the floor lifter for quarterbacks. That was the floor lifter for Wilson sometimes last season and again in this preseason game. If he doesn't have that, And if he's discouraged from running the ball a lot, and if he's discouraged by his own fear or pain of re-injury there, at least for the first several games when he comes back, it could really put a difficult situation around him for how he can generate value this year. Because so far, he did not show it with his arm last year. And again, in a very, very, very limited sample, he went and threw an interception on uh, his first or second pass attempt of, of the preseason there. So you're going to get an evaluation of Wilson this year, but I think his probability, the probability that he's going to save himself and turn the corner with this injury, maybe not affecting necessarily how well he's going to process all of those different things there. But I think it is going to affect what sort of floor he has in his performance this year, which could then lead to a short tenure for Zach Wilson and the Jets especially if it leads to Joe Douglas being fired and he doesn't come back for next year. All right, that that was kind of the major piece of news outside of what we saw in some of the preseason. What I want to talk about here 
is preseason performance, as I mentioned earlier, about what it matters for playing time in the future. I'm going to start with the quarterbacks. You know, it's quarterback-driven league. Those are the guys I paid the most attention to. Those are the guys who I, you know, scouted the most coming into the season. Those are the guys who I've watched the most here in the preseason. And I think we need to first answer or attempt to answer the fundamental question of how much does this matter here? We're hearing things about young quarterbacks like Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. The game is slowing down for them. They perform so much better here in the, in the preseason than they did a year ago. You're hearing about Desmond Ritter or Sam Howell, how they looked impressive in their debuts. So what I did was I looked at all the different drafted rookies and second-year quarterbacks, how they played entering their second, first or second season, how they played in the preseason. So we're talking about guys who had to have at least 15 dropbacks in the preseason It's not a lot, I know, but we're not getting very large sample sizes for most of these guys here. So at least 15 dropbacks in the preseason and then look at their grade. So look at their PFF offensive grade in the preseason and then say for these first or second year quarterbacks, what was their offensive grade in the regular season? This only includes guys who played at least 300, 400 snaps in the regular season. So there's going to be a little bit of a selection bias here towards guys who ended up actually playing a lot in the regular season. And if we look at the the relationship here between those two metrics, the preseason and the regular season grade for these first or second year quarterbacks, believe it or not, there actually is a slight correlation. I would have thought it had been all noise. Now the R squared on this is basically minimal to nothing. It's under 0.1 is 0.0. Eight, So it's pretty low, but there is something to it. Now you're going to have certain guys like Mason Rudolph, who played really well in the preseason. And when he got a chance to play in the regular season, he was very, very poor. And they're going to have Patrick Mahomes, who I thought he looked pretty good in the preseason in his second year, but he didn't grade that well because he was testing things out a bit more. The turnover worthy plays really drove down his number a lot. I remember hearing a lot in the pre in the training camp, and in preseason, how many turnovers the guy's, ma- the guy's making. But he was testing things. He said smartly that he was testing things, and it ended up being a very low turnover uh, second year for him when he finally did play. But there is some relationship there. But the bigger takeaway is it's a very small and slight correlation. So when we're looking at quarterback performance here, I wouldn't get too, too high up, too high down, based upon what we're seeing in the preseason versus – what we believe we're going to be seeing in the regular season, but it does affect when they may play in the regular season. And I think that's the, that's the important point here. Okay. So looking at some of the young quarterbacks who've been playing so far, since those are the most interesting ones is when they'll get a chance to start or how well they'll play. If we haven't seen them a lot in the past. Um, I also looked at not only their passing grades so far in this preseason, but then looked at their adjusted yards per attempt. Now for those Unfamiliar with the statistic, adjusted yards per attempt is a way of incorporating touchdowns and interceptions into a yards per attempt, a basic, the best efficiency type of statistics that you can have for a quarterback. So adjusted yards per attempt are going to add 20 yards for every touchdown and subtract 45 yards for every interception. And that's been the general analytical way of incorporating those into what these teams are doing. Now, Looking at who, how everyone played here, we do have guys like Trey Lance who had more than 20 adjusted yards per attempt because they hit a huge bomb on one of their very few plays. So I'm not going to read too much into that. But what I think what, what is interesting is that the grading and the efficiency, and this is passing the ball here we're talking about. Some of these guys ran the ball pretty well. Uh, maybe it wasn't as high for players like Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell as we would have thought Both of those guys were seen as having um, successful debuts, but it was largely running the ball for those two two different guys while they were able to do so well. The passing wasn't quite there. Both of them were uh, less than six adjusted yards per attempt, which is an okay but not great number. Other rookie quarterbacks who impressed some people, Kenny Pickett had the best grade of the first-year 
quarterbacks, the rookie quarterbacks, with having a passing grade of 64. So he was better than the others there, but even his efficiency was fairly middling. Uh, Skylar Thompson is an interesting name. I'm going to talk about him in a bit. He's pretty similar to Pickett and how he performed. And Willis was somewhat similar too, but there's nuances behind how they were, were playing this year. And one of the things to keep in mind for these quarterbacks, and I did a lot of research in the offseason on what drives successful quarterback prospects. What can we really point to? And this disconnect between clean pocket play and play under pressure. And especially in college, when you're under certain circumstances, a lot of these guys are playing for big programs. They're playing for programs with good offensive lines. They live a contented life behind their offensive lines in college, and they drive huge performance through their clean pocket passing. And while clean pocket passing is stickier, is more correlated, has a stronger correlation with what your clean pocket passing is going to be the next year than pressured passing does. What I actually found was that the guys who perform relatively well under pressure versus from a clean pocket, guys who are driving their performance more from how well they're playing under pressure, actually had better NFL performance. Those are the differentiators. Now, again, it's noisier. The, the pressure play because one pressure can be very different from another pressure. One pressure could be you're forced to roll out a little bit out of the pocket. Another pressure could be you have three guys about to jump on you and you have to fling the ball out over all of them while one's hanging off your back. Obviously those two different types of plays are very different. They're not going to correlate as well going forward as opposed to, you know, a clean pocket is a clean pocket. Basically there's not a huge difference in the level of cleanness of the pockets. There are some, which may be a little bit bigger, but if you're not affected, if you're able to have a clean pocket, then it doesn't matter quite as much. What we found is quarterbacks who thrived underneath clean pockets a little bit more than others in college. Tua is one of those guys. Jared Goff's another one of those guys to a degree. Baker Mayfield was one of those guys that they haven't had quite the level of success that some people had hoped for getting to the NFL because in the NFL, the pockets are much muddier and you have to have more of the ability to get something done under pressure. So I do think it's important also when we're looking at the preseason to look at, okay, how is their play from a clean pocket and how is their play under pressure? Because two of the guys, again, who people are excited about what they did so far this year, Desmond Ritter and Skylar Thompson, really, really good clean pocket grading in their first week, both above 80 as far as their offensive grade there, but both well below 40 from a pressured grade. And a lot of this is due to turnover-worthy plays that didn't end up actually being turnovers. So they don't affect our minds in the same sort of way. Uh, Desmond Ritter, for instance, threw an interception, which got called back from a very questionable roughing the passer penalty. And he had another pass that was dropped by a linebacker uh, interception that was dropped by a linebacker, which people will say pick six. I mean, I don't know if the guy would have made it all the way to the end zone. Cause it would have been about a 60 yard uh, pick six, but it was a possibility for there. So again, it's something to temper, to keep in mind, to keep our expectations in mind when we're thinking about these guys and who they are going to be in the pros. Okay. A little bit more on the, the rookies so far this year. And I'm going to bring up, a lot of their, their information from our PFF information that we're tracking as far as who's been the best, who's been the worst. This will get you kind of an overview, I would say, of when how these quarterbacks had played in their first – the guy again, these guys are mostly in their first couple of seasons. How they've been playing so far as rookies in the preseason. Um, let's start with – Malik Willis, since Willis was the first of these many rookies to play. I think he did some good and did some bad. I would say it's very similar to what we saw from him as a prospect. And people are excited about Willis because we saw the rushing touchdown that he had where he outran basically the entire defense to go and score. He had some good scrambles that, that he was, that he made there, but he also did not execute. One of the numbers that I track for quarterback prospects is 
what percentage of their dropbacks in college are either sacks or scrambles. So these are plays. These are pass attempt focused plays. These are plays where they're trying to pass the ball and they end up not passing the ball at all. As part of the situation, the ball sticks with the quarterback. Is it always a bad decision? No. Sometimes you need to take a sack. Is it always a bad decision to scramble? No. Sometimes you need to scramble and it can be the best thing to do. But what I think it does show is you're not executing what was driven, what was drawn up on the board. And even scrambler types, guys who have been very successful scrambling in the pros, like a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes, they weren't doing it on more than 10 to 15% of their dropbacks. They weren't scrambling or taking a sack. Now, Willis was someone last year where it was between 25 and 30% of his dropbacks that he was either scrambling or taking a sack. And if you look at what he did in this first week of the preseason, he dropped back to pass 19 times. In those 19 times, he had two sacks and five scrambles. So quick math on that. We're talking about almost 40%, 35, 40% of the time that Willis went back to pass in this first game, he wasn't throwing the ball. 60% of the time he's, he's actually throwing the ball. 40% of the time he's not. And after the game, when he was asked why they made the move to take Willis out of the game, Vrabel specifically said that he just wasn't throwing the ball when they wanted him to throw the ball. So that, again, that is a trait that seems to initially, again, this is very, very early. I'm going to caveat the hell out of this thing. But it seems to at least so far be something that's translating over a little bit to the NFL. You just want to see a quarterback execute a little bit more throwing the ball than what we saw from Willis. But we also saw from Willis, and these are the things that I think are are traits that are going to raise the floor for him with that rushing ability is, I would say, and I would have thought this going into this game, so it's not a surprise from what we saw, his ability to, again, run around an entire defense. He made Kyle Hamilton miss to start there. You know, first-round pick Kyle Hamilton came up with a an armful of turf rather than Malik Willis, and then moving around the end to score is, the moment he enters the NFL as a starting quarterback, assuming he does someday, at least amongst the quarterbacks that we see out there in the NFL right now, I mean, I would put him as... Easily top five, probably top three athlete at the position and his ability to generate running value. Lamar Jackson, of course, is there. Kyler Murray, I would say, is there, although he's on the smaller side. And I would even put him above someone like Josh Allen. I mean, I love Josh Allen, but he's a little bit of a different type of player as a 240-pound you know, type of guy who's doing this, as opposed to Malik Willis, who is 6'1". He's a, he's a bit smaller in doing what he does there. He's always going to be a top three athlete in the position. So we saw that, but again, not a surprise of what we're doing. We saw the arm strength a couple of times on throws he was able to make, but again, not a surprise on what he was doing. The one other thing that he didn't do, and this is something that part of his profile again is not throwing the ball on time or over the middle of the field. He's he's a little bit on the shorter side. He's 6'1-ish, so maybe that has something to do with not throwing over the middle of the field, but he's one of these guys who consistently did not do that in college. We didn't see it here, and there are lots of plays that I saw where he had guys where he could have thrown to, and he didn't do it so far here. So again, this is not getting too high, not getting too low on Willis. I don't think he really has a chance necessarily to start a whole lot this season unless the wheels fall off for uh, the Titans, but a lot of what I thought we could expect from him this game. Okay. Now let's turn to uh, Desmond Ritter. Ritter was someone who I think people praise him a lot. I did think he looked pretty good in this game. Now his PFF grading, as I mentioned, is not good because of the two turnover worthy plays. One, which was called back by, because of a penalty, a roughing the passer. Another was a dropped interception by the linebacker. And anytime you have 20 ish in this game, in this case, it was 28 dropbacks. From Desmond Ritter, unless you're going to have a ton of big time throws and we didn't credit him with any big time throws. He wasn't making the big, big throws. He was more executing what he was doing there. Anytime you have a couple of turnover worthy plays, your grade is not going to be good. So that's why his passing grade, people are a little bit shocked by the fact that it was a 42.8 in this game when he executed or at least seemingly executed so well. And I do think he executed pretty well during this game. Uh, another thing is he had 
a couple of drops in this game. And the drops, you could have credited his teammates with anywhere from two to four drops, depending upon whether you think anyone with the number 40 should be able to you know, stretch out and catch a, a pass down the field. There were some instances of that there. But 10 of 23. And I think maybe people are not giving quite enough weight into the fact that it's about 4.5 yards per attempt passing the ball. So while I believe the optics look good in what he did, the results were a little bit hit or miss. Now, he did have 54 yards rushing on six attempts. Five of them were scrambles. And I thought he made good, decisive decisions on when to run. So again, I think this is another situation with Ritter where this probably helps him his ability to potentially start earlier. Although Marcus Mariota, you know, he came in there. He looked good. He completed every pass that he threw. He ran in for a touchdown. But what Mariota also displayed there by running in for that touchdown and on another play, not running out of bounds on a rush is a little too reckless with his body, which could also be something because he's had a lot of injury problems in the past that can get Ritter into a game pretty early this year. So I think I was pleasantly surprised by Ritter. But again, we're going to we're going to downweight how we think this means he's going to play during the regular season and more say that coaches may overweight this on the positive side versus I've read consistently that he's far behind Mariota in training camp. And they may say, you know what? We got to move him up. We got to give him a chance. So I think this does raise Ritter's chance of being able to play earlier this season, despite the fact that according to training camp watchers, at least in the media for what that's worth, they think he's well behind Marcus Mariota this season. Um, I mentioned briefly what happened with, uh, Skylar Thompson. I could probably go into that a bit more because he's one, he's one of the guys that I really liked coming into the season. He was one of those guys who outperformed in his pressure play. He's one of those guys who was a scrambler. Um, although I got turned off a little bit by the fact that he ran a four, nine, something 40 yard dash. So he didn't look athletic, but he was someone who can move and could scramble in college. I mean, dude is old. So that's probably something to talk about right off right up front is that in June of this year, he turned 25 years old. So he's, you know, he's older than Tua. He's a year older than Tua at this point, despite the fact that he was just drafted. He went through a super senior season, red shirt, all that stuff. Um, COVID red shirt, all that stuff that he had. That's why he's coming in so, so late. But his grading wasn't that great on here because, again, like a lot of these guys, he has the turnover worthy play which holds him down. He doesn't have the big time throws, but he executed very well. They won the game. He completed 20, 28 passes. So it was steady completions that he was putting in there. And he was able to, you know, move around with decent effectiveness. He had three scrambles and he gained 25 yards during those, those scrambles in, including gaining a big first down on one of those runs. So he was able to do everything there. Now, what does this mean for the regular season? I'd love to say that Skyler Thompson is now the QB two for the Dolphins because he's been getting good buzz out of training camp. But Teddy Bridgewater is there. And I looked at the Teddy Bridgewater contract details. It's six and a half million to 10 million he's going to earn this season. And all of that six and a half million is guaranteed. So I don't think that that precludes him from being sent down the the org, you know, the depth chart there and allowing Thompson to go a little bit higher after Thompson played well in this game. But it almost precludes the their ability to cut him and save some money and really move on here unless you're going to cut Bridgewater and pay him six and a half million anyway. Um, and for that reason, Thompson may not get a chance to play this year, even if Tua struggles, even if Tua is injured. And that's a little disappointing for me because, again, as a 25-year-old prospect now, 25-year-old rookie, it'd be good to get a little bit more out of him than what we had seen so far. Um, But this obviously helps boost his standing to at least make the team. This guy's a seventh rounder. So to play at this sort of level, to start and to play the entire preseason game that they win is something that's going to help him be able to play, I believe, uh, you know, stay off of the practice squad stay off of being released and being able to, to play this year. Okay, so Sam Howell. People have a lot of problems with Sam Howell in his grading that it, when I sent out the the passing grades and the efficiency here, because his passing grade was a 39. So yikes, not, not great. And people said, well, I thought he executed pretty well. I mean, he was okay. It was 10 of 18 passing the ball, so that was good. But two turnover-worthy plays. I went back and looked at these, and I think – Sometimes we grade these in a little bit too much of a binary sort of fashion. We say, 
could it have been caught? Did it hit the hands of a defensive back? So therefore it's a turnover worthy play, which is very detrimental to these guys's grading, especially when there aren't big time throws to offset this stuff here. He was more executing and throwing the ball big time down the field, looking at these turnover worthy plays. One of them was just, one was bad. One of them went, you know, through the hands of a few different defenders. Another one would have been an excellent play by a defensive back breaking on the ball that would have had to have caught it, you know, in his hands or on his fingertips, got a couple of feet down, toe tapped it and stayed inbound. So it would have been pretty difficult there. So I think it's one of the situations where Howell's hurt a little bit by those plays, which are also down the field. So these were not, you know, turnover really plays where you're throwing it over in the middle of the field and someone's dropping it in an, an easy interception. These were ones where he's pushing the ball down the field. So I give him a little bit more credit for that um, than what our grading does. And then rushing is where he really came through. He had the scramble touchdown, that he ran in and then he had a couple of other good runs that he had there. How is probably got one of the better chances I think now of being able to play this season. I think Heineke may not be long for the commanders. He threw another interception in the preseason. He's just not going to be that guy. And I know that Hal made it all the way to the fifth round, but he was a player as a prospect going into his junior season going into his final college season was seen as being the first or second best prospect in the entire country. And then he fell all the way to the fifth round the next year. So he's an intriguing guy. I'm going to see in, you know, Carson Wentz can Carson Wentz sometimes here. This is going to be a season where Ron Rivera is on the hot seat to say the least. And he may need to turn to another quarterback and that could end up being Sam Howell. Okay, before I get to the rest of the quarterback evaluations and the takeaways from the preseason, let's get some ads in here. And gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of the of danger. He's a big hairless winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader and below the waist grooming now trust them for the whole shebang join 4 million men worldwide who trust manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF manscaped's brand new platinum package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered giving you a bulk discount on manscaped's top products get 20% off and free shipping with manscaped and code PFF that's 20% off and free shipping it's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package Alrighty, more quarterback takeaway here. And I was in pain, people. I was in pain seeing my guy who I've been touting, Matt Corral, out there at the end of that Panthers-Commanders game. Pain for a couple different reasons. First is, the camp reports have been pretty good. And I, embarrassingly, have been searching up to see how well is Corral's been playing this year, because I think there's, he should at least be in consideration for the QB two spot. And I don't think Baker Mayfield, who is almost assuredly going to win the quarterback competition. I'll put that in quotes competition for the Panthers is necessarily locked into the degree where he cannot be replaced there. So I was, I've been interested in how Corral is playing this year. Two different things were basically killers for getting excited about Corral. One was, you know, how well he played. And again, I don't think it matters in terms of his actual ability or how well he will play in the pros. He was a guy who was very successful under pressure uh, in college, which I find to be highly correlated with being successful in the pros. But the thing that was distressing is that Baker Mayfield had his couple of possessions Sam Darnold had his couple of possessions. Mayfield played well enough, I think, to continue to lodge lodge himself into that number one spot. Then they turned it over to Philip Walker, not Corral next. Not only did they turn it over to Philip Walker, but he had 24 dropbacks with Philip Walker, playing all the way until the fourth quarter before they allowed Corral to come in with, you know, the fourth and fifth team, a bunch of guys who were not even going to make the team there. Very disappointing to see that. And then what happened in the actual game? Well, the numbers were ugly. I mean, one of nine uh, passing the ball. He had one 
sack that counted. He had a couple of sacks that ended up being wiped off because of penalty, including one where he had his helmet ripped off. Scrambled the ball once, had decent effectiveness there. Um, And we also credited him with one turnover-worthy play, although one of those were on a play that did not count, where he was trying to flip the ball away. And I think it it was ruled a fumble, but probably would not have been if it went underneath replay 3.8 a dot just not getting the ball down the field. So I don't think it's panic mode here for corral, but I think it's going to hurt his perception for when he may actually have a chance to play this year. Cause he's a guy I want to see play. Um, I thought it was good though, that he didn't throw any turnover worthy type of plays. He completed his first pass for a first down. He had a drop on his second pass. And then, like I mentioned, it was all going downhill after that. So disappointing very much. So for corral, and that's something that it doesn't affect my evaluation. And I don't think, again, one game should affect necessarily the evaluation for players. But it definitely affects how I believe he's going to be viewed within the building. And that could be a troubling thing for his ability to, to play this year. Um, some other guys that we can think about as far as how they played here, who may be of interest for what they're going to be able to do in the future. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about Bailey. Bailey Zappi, I thought he he played okay. He had a 50 passing grade there, so we can talk about that. Kyle Trask actually had one of the best passing grades at, at a 76.1. I'm not sure he has a real chance to be the successor to Tom Brady, but at least he positioned himself okay there. Kellen Mond had the highest passing grade, although many people have pushed back who have watched that game that he was that good. He had an 87.1 passing grade. Don't think he's a real successor to Kirk Cousins, who would probably be I think it's about a 50-50 chance Kirk Cousins will be cut after the season, but you never know what can happen there. Um, going on to some of these other second-year guys, Trevor Lawrence, 68 passing grade. He was 6 of 13, though, for 95 yards. You know, not great passing touchdown. He did have a big-time throw, so that was good there. No turnover-worthy plays. One drop, that was part of that. So a decent performance from Lawrence. Uh, Trey Lance, I think it's kind of similar to what we saw there. He was four of five with his pass attempts, but then he also had a sack and a scramble. So that continues to be a little bit of a problem for, for him is that, you know, sack and scramble twice within seven dropbacks is maybe not ideal there, but he had the long pass. And I think that's what matters more than anything else. Justin Fields, 10 dropbacks, two sacks and a scramble. He's another one of these guys who's always had the elevated sacks and scrambles on the dropback. So that continued to go on there. He had a couple of good passes. He had his, uh, his big time throw there, but I don't think there was a lot to take away from there either. So I guess all in all for the quarterbacks, what I would say is Ritter, better chance of playing corral, worse chance of, of playing so far this year for Willis and for the others. It doesn't really matter. So those would be the two main takeaways I would see for what had happened in the preseason. Now looking at other positions, I think running back is one of the most interesting ones where you could say it doesn't really matter as to how good they are, how they play, but because of the fact that it's just an opportunity-based position, the whole running backs don't matter mantra is really saying all of these guys are great, so whoever gets in the game is going to have the biggest chance of doing something. A couple situations where I think guys really improved their chances of being able to do something this year. One of them, Damian Pierce. For the Texans, highest rushing grade of the week at 90. He had five attempts, 49 yards rushing, 42 after contact, two broken tackles as part of that. And so he's playing with the Texans now. And if you look at the Texans depth chart there, look at the depth chart for the Texans and the backfield. It's wide open. So that combined with what Pierce was able to do, combined with the fact that Marlon Mack, Rex Burkhead are the two running backs ahead of him, really puts him in good position. He was also the highest graded running back in his last collegiate season. Someone who can catch the ball also decently. So I'm really high on his improvement based upon this and based upon some good camp reports that people are hearing for what he can do this year. Again, you don't want to get too high or too low on some of this stuff, but he's someone 
who already had that great opportunity. And if this pushes a team forward to say, pushes the Texans forward to say, we're going to give him a chance. It could be very, very interesting for him this year. Uh, another player where I think it's almost 50, 50, whether or not this helped him that much again, but he has a very unsettled backfield is Tyler Algier. He only had three attempts, but he ran pretty well. That's kind of a moot point. I just, I just push that aside. Another one is Isaiah Spiller. So Spiller was the consensus, either one, two, or three prospect going into the combine. He ran closer to a four, six as pro day. His jumps were very poor. He tumbled down uh, draft boards this year, ended up going to the Chargers in the fourth round here. Very profitable role for him, especially fantasy football wise. If Austin Eckler goes down and maybe even if not playing the bigger back there, he was impressive. He graded well, 77.3 grade, 10 attempts, only 34 yards on those 10 attempts. But if you watch 24 came after contact, he was getting con- he was getting hit early a lot. And he was just making guys miss and looking like that type of grinder that a lot of NFL teams love so far this year. So, he could really position himself in a really great spot there. And I think he's someone who boosted his stock maybe more than anyone else on the downside for guys here. I think it was, it was kind of a good and bad game for Travis Etienne. To me, the guy does not look anything like the 215 pounder that he weighed in at the combine when he's playing, he looks small. He was bouncing things outside constantly. I posted some clips on Twitter about that and how that hurt his performance and hurt his grading. So it was almost a 50, but he did play 22 out of the 24 Trevor Lawrence snaps. Now that's without James Robinson recovering from injury, all that stuff. But he did play at a very, very high level there. Um, Michael Carter played more than Brees Hall. If that matters to you, I'm going to kind of put that in the background and not really care about it too much here. Kenneth Walker didn't really play until much later. He was splitting some time with Travis Homer there. Again, these are guys that you're expecting when it comes to someone like Walker to emerge a few weeks into the season and be really, really good from that perspective. So I wouldn't look into that too much. James Cook also was maybe a little bit further down than you would have hoped as far as his performance and depth chart and things like that. Uh, But the biggest loser had to be Antonio Gibson, who had been losing from the fact that J.D. McKissick came back was losing from the fact that Brian Robinson, the rookie from Alabama, was being talked up as the goal line and short yardage guy, and then fumbled it very quick in the game, left the game. Robinson played the rest of the way with the starters. I mean, he wasn't great, you know, 26 yards on six attempts, but he did score a touchdown. He did show sure hands as far as not fumbling the ball. He did show some chops, and he was able to catch the ball in college. Antonio Gibson, don't be surprised if he's a guy that – if you want to catch a falling knife, you could find maybe even as close to getting in the eighth, ninth, 10th round in some of these fantasy drafts so far this year. Trey Sermon played a ton, played almost all, played all the snaps with Trey Lance, but you know, Elijah Mitchell was not playing. So I don't know how much we can really take away from that. And finally, I thought it was a good game, not great game for Chris Evans. And he's someone who flashed a little bit out of Michigan last year as a rookie. And I think he could fill that passing back role. And he had a huge rush in this game that got called back by penalty, but he's showing some explosiveness there. So I thought he had an interesting game also. Uh, Getting into the receivers here, but before I get to the receivers, one last ad read here. Uh, Football fans join the next generation of fantasy football with Rainmakers football, the first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now you can play all season for millions in prize by building the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Playing Rainmakers is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more. Just like daily fantasy football, build your NFT franchise and enter Rainmakers free contests all season long to compete for millions in prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download 
the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with promo code PFF. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in to get your first card free. Plus, play for millions in prizes all football season while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. That's promo code PFF. Build, play, win. Only at DraftKings. Contest entries depend on the type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, receivers, receivers, receivers. Traylon Burks. Let's talk Traylon Burks. I'm going to try not to be a affected by my love for Traylon Burks. Well, love is a strong word. But someone who thought that he was deserving of being a top wide receiver prospect while some others were against him. He was playing buried on the depth chart behind Des Fitzpatrick, behind others. He was basically the wide receiver five or six before he was coming into the game. That's definitely a negative, but he's a first-round wide receiver. First-round wide receiver is going to get a chance to play and play significantly during the season. I'm not worried about that. One target only at the end of the game. Concerning, but... I think you also have to look at how Malik Willis was playing during that game. Again, I mentioned that Willis did not even throw the ball on 40% of his dropbacks, and he was playing a lot with Burks. And there were times where he was open that he was the ball was just stuck in Willis's hand, and he was running the ball rather than throwing it to him. So, again, let's, let, let's, let's read the camp reports. Let's figure out what's going on there as far as the depth chart. I'm not going to get too far into what we saw there. George Pickens, it's a confirmation of what we've been seeing. He already had a starting role locked up so the fact that he had the best grade of the week at 90.4 the fact that he had the touchdown catch there the fact that he had five targets on only 14 routes run so more than a third of the time about 40 percent of the time he was being targeted in there all hugely positive numbers for Pickens but probably aligns with a lot of what we're seeing for him already this year don't be surprised this guy's like the single rounds of fantasy drafts by the time we get to drafting season Drake London the knee looks like it's going to be okay, but that's something to pay attention to. Garrett Wilson only played one snap with Zach Wilson when he was in there. Again, first round receiver. I'd be buying any discount that you're getting on these sorts of guys from what we're ended up seeing so far this season. Tyquan Thornton played pretty well. He's been the guy that no one seems to really care about the fact that he was a second round pick for the Patriots. Uh, he ran 16 routes, 11 versus press coverage. He looked pretty good getting off of press despite being a guy who weighed in, you know, well under 200 pounds, uh, two targets on, I'm sorry, four targets, two catches, only nine receiving yards, but did score a touchdown as, as part of the, there. Everyone's favorite Romeo Dobbs, believe it or not, his receiving grade wasn't that great here, but still 17 snaps targeted eight times in 17 routes, just monster, monster numbers for him as he continues this year. But again, a player who's probably going to be in the third or second round of, of drafts by the time we come around to, to football season. Chris Olave didn't play a lot, so it's not a lot to take away from what he was doing there. Uh, Jalen Tolbert actually played a decent amount there, but his grading was pretty poor. He's someone who's going to be playing no matter what. Um, but the one guy I also wanted to talk about as being a positive is Wandale Robinson, the fact that he was playing so many snaps with the starters. And it's just looking more and more like it's going to be Galladay, it's going to be Robinson, who are going to be in um, the starting lineup along with, you know, some of the more, more hype guys that we've seen there. So along with Kadarius, Tony, that's just kind of looking like those three guys are going to be the top guys. So whenever you can find someone who's going to get a start and get an opportunity to play, you have to take that as being a big positive for Wandale Robinson. And lastly, if we're going to talk about anyone from a positional standpoint, I don't think it's necessarily going to matter a lot this year but we're talking about tight ends the young tight ends and and how they played so far um i mean one of the best performances that we saw of the week was by a guy you wouldn't necessarily expect to have seen out out there but isaiah likely for the ravens 83.6 receiving grade 17 routes Four targets, which is pretty good to get near that 20, 25% rate. Four receptions, though, 44 yards. And the Ravens just don't have receivers. So 
does likely have a great chance of playing. And I guess it's kind of weird to say likely and great chance uh, back to back as a fourth round guy. Who's a rookie who's 22 years old. Maybe not, but they need some dudes out there who can catch the, the ball. And they're especially fragile. We talk about, you know, James Prochet being uh, the presumed wide receiver two at this point of the season. They're going to need some guys. And I think likely is a guy who can end up playing a lot this season and will be an interesting name to keep on your radar a week, two, three weeks into the season to see how many routes he's actually able to run or whether or not he's positioned to step up to the next level for his play this year. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This was your wrap up here. I'm going to have Rob Pozzola on the pod a little bit later this week, discuss the betting angles for everything that's going on this year. Talk about all the controversy in the touter sphere uh, as someone who is not only running his own podcast, but has done some touting before in the past, but still does stuff uh, from what I would call a pretty ethical and above the board manner there. So we'll talk with him. We'll discuss everything again that's going on this season, some of his best recommendations, who he's fading or who he is liking this year from a team perspective. That will be on the Wednesday afternoon edition. And until then, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks so much for tuning in.